This is the story of a man and a woman who lived in a beautiful garden. It's the story of a snake who tricked mankind for thousands of years. It's the story of God and his promises. It's the story of one who's coming back to crush the head of the snake. Give us that home we once had. Might have forgotten, lost. Biggest story. Morning, everyone. If you've been on spring break, welcome back. Good to have you in the room. I want to share with you uh, something that I read the other day in the Christian Post. Um, a mother by the name of Lisa Saunders was uh, trying to find the meaning of some words, and she grabbed her student's um, Oxford Junior Dictionary to look up these words. And she couldn't find them. She checked again and still couldn't find them, and finally she decided, well, I'm going to find out what's going on here. So she contacted the editors and said, hey, I can't find these words in the, in the dictionary that my kids are using. And the, edit, you know, the people that talked to her said, well, the editors have removed those particular words you're looking for because they don't really fit a modern audience anymore. They're kind of out of date. Now, I'm not going to give you a list of all the words because they removed quite a few, but the words that caught my attention that they removed were words like devil, disciple, sin, minister, chapel. Those are just a few of the words. And they were excited to announce that those words are gone and now made room for new modern words like blog and biodegradable, democrat, celebrity, all words that our lives hang on every day. That was sarcasm. <laughs> Are you with me? Oh, now I know who was here last weekend. Good job. Remember I told you last weekend, my friends in Africa, the preachers will say, Are you with me? Everybody goes... These are with him. Good job. Good memories. So, um, a Catholic moral theologian by the name of William Smith commenting on, you know, this change, changing out of these words, particularly the word sin, said that, you know, all social engineering is preceded by verbal engineering. I want you to think about that. That's important to you and me. That if you want to change a culture, change its language first. Get rid of certain words, bring in some new words, and you'll actually begin to change the culture socially. But the problem is this. If you're not going to call Sin, sin, does that mean sin disappears? Wouldn't that be nice? 
hey, we won't talk about sin anymore. It's just going to disappear. It won't be a problem for the rest of us. What are you going to call it? Are you going to call it dysfunction? Are you going to call it alternate behavior? Are you going to call it mistakes? The world struggles with this word sin. We don't like the word sin. We don't mind applying it to other people, but we don't like thinking of ourselves as sinful or sinners. And we don't like the word evil. At least we don't like it if it's applied to us. We don't mind applying it to others, but we don't like to think of ourselves as evil. And that, you know, that creates all kinds, of, all kinds of problems and all kinds of issues. See, I was listening to a scholar who taught at Harvard for a while. He's not a believer that I know of. I think he's on a journey. He's left atheism, moving toward Christianity. But he, he put it this way. I want to draw it out for you. He said, you know, if you think about it, our, our world has been built on a, on a foundation throughout history. And what's interesting about this guy is, is he talks about how the Bible, I'm trying to draw a book, all right? He says, you know, the, the Bible is um, the oldest, he says it's the oldest book in the world, you know, complete book. And he said, the Bible actually has influenced this foundation, its morals, its ethics about all kinds of things, sexuality, marriage, what is truth, what is a lie, etc. And he says, so what's happened is we've, you know, we've looked and even, you know, even nations that don't necessarily embrace Christianity, still many of them, their morals, their background is based on truth that has somehow percolated its way up and created this foundation. But he said, it seems like we have a hard time learning that every time people, universities, politicians, philosophers, whatever, every time they they try to get rid of the truth and put something else in its place, some other kind of belief system, some other kind of truth, relativism, whatever it is. He says it always ends in a disaster. It always does. It never works. He says in all our years of history, world history, it doesn't work. Therefore, that means in his mind, this must be the truth. And if we ignore the truth, then we suffer the consequences. And that's why the story we're going to look at today and next weekend is so important to us. It's a well-known story. When I first approached it and thought about preaching on it, I thought, man, I hope there's enough material here to fill 25 to 30 minutes. Then as I got into the story and, I, and I've read what other people say about the story, I'm like, how am I going to do this in 25 or 30 minutes? So I added a, another weekend to it, and I probably could add a few more to it. It's a fascinating story. I think you're going to be intrigued by it. Some scholars say that it is really this one story in Genesis is really the history of humanity in a nutshell. If you understand this story, you'll understand what is going on in your life, what's going on in this world to this very day. So I've asked Pastor Dan if he would come up, and uh, he's going to read this story 
for us, Genesis chapter 4. I think it would be great if we stood, since we're talking about, I believe, the truth and gave respect to the truth. Genesis 4, 1 through 10. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gifts, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. In this story, which is human history in a nutshell, we learn three more things about sin. We started talking about sin last weekend, we're going to talk about sin this weekend, and we're going to talk about sin next weekend. Why? Because it is a big deal. I don't care if you change its name, take it out of the dictionary, it's still a big deal. And everybody here, myself included, all of us, all of us are vulnerable to the power of sin. So I want you to take a look with me, first of all, in the story at the stealthy power of sin. When I think about the word stealth, I think about power, I think about sin as being a predator, an image comes to my mind. And I found this image uh, on the internet this, this past week of a lion. Look at that guy blending in with the tall grass. Reminds me of what it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And he's so patient. Look at this guy. He's just hanging out, being patient. What's he looking for? What's he waiting for? He's waiting and looking for somebody that's not looking and waiting for him. He's looking for somebody that's not paying attention. He's looking for the weaker creature, the young one, the straggler, the one that falls behind. 
For our sake, uh, this morning, get real specific with this. Let me suggest to you, by the way, how many of your parents here, grandparents, let me see your hands. Look at how many of you are here, right? Parents, grandparents. May, may I suggest that it's your students, your grandkids, maybe some of you have great grandkids. May I suggest to you that they are the ones who are most vulnerable to that guy, if you think of that representing sin. And it's stealthy how it approaches them. And oftentimes, if you're not careful and not watching, it takes over. We're going to see that, especially next week, how sin can take over, how sin wants to become a presence in our life. I don't know if you've been watching the news. I'm sure you have been. But you've probably been hearing about this social media site called TikTok. How many of you are at TikTok, right? For the very first time, I went on TikTok I didn't sign up. I just went to the internet and looked it up. I, hadn't, I just hadn't looked before. Seemed innocent enough from what I saw. But what I'm hearing, uh, and I'm hearing this from both uh, Christians and non-Christians, Democrats and Republicans, is that it's, it's dangerous. And it's especially affecting our, our young women, our younger girls. And they can relate it back to driving up the the numbers of suicides, sexual promiscuity. 80 million people in the United States are on TikTok. That's a lot of people. And 25% of the 80 million are between the ages of 10 and 19. My son and I were talking the other day. He uh, is a head of a, a school, and he was talking about a parent who came in, uh, this junior high age, and was complaining um, about uh, problems that their daughter was having, and um, their daughter's phone had been confiscated by the principal, and you know she was kind of upset about the whole deal. And and my son was was talking to this woman and said, "Well," and the principal was there and, and said, "Well, you know, your your daughter's spending an enormous amount of time on social media." And the mother said, "My daughter does not spend time on social media." This really happened, by the way. And he said, no, your, your daughter's on TikTok. My daughter is not on TikTok. And here's what's, here's, here's what's funny but sad. As she made that claim, the little noise came up on the phone. The principal had the daughter's phone. And it was, it was her alert on TikTok. Now, there's a parent that's out of touch. <laughs> or a kid that really knows how to hide it. I was uh, listening to the news and uh, found out that and I'm ashamed, to be honest with you, uh, that here in Minnesota, uh, we're, we're moving legislation up the ladder that will make us a refugee state for people who are wanting to get gender change surgeries. Where in other states, they can't, they can come here. And it's being written up in such a way that, that if you're a parent and you don't want your son or daughter to get this surgery, but they insist they want to get it, the courts have the right to come in and pull them out of your home. I was in headline news last night. I was shocked. Well, that's something to brag about, isn't it? But unless that sounds like it's too, you know, it's, it's too academic or too political or it's just something that, you know, yeah, it's not going to really affect me, 
let me tell you how, how, how predatory, how stealthy sin works. This is from a uh, Netflix uh, cartoon called Ridley Jones. Ever heard of it? Anybody heard of Ridley Jones? It's aimed at four-year-olds. Of course, nobody wants to raise their hand right now. Um, it's, it's aimed at four-year-olds. This is aimed at four-year-olds. And I just read it this week in an article, uh, not making this stuff up, okay? This recently came out in an episode, four-year-olds are watching this, and Ridley says, my heart says that the way I feel most myself is to go by the name Fred. That's because I'm non-binary, and Fred is the name that fits me best. And I also use they and them because calling me a he or a she doesn't feel right to me. That's aimed at four-year-olds. My heart goes out to our youth who are confused right now about gender and sexuality. I'm not here to bash them, condemn them. I want to I help them. I think you want to help them too. But we don't help them if we don't talk about the fact that there's truth and there are lies. And we cannot let lies become truth. But that's how the enemy works. The enemy works this way. The enemy inundates us with lies as though they are truth. And it keeps saying it, it keeps saying it, it keeps saying it until we begin to actually believe it. Then it stigmatizes those who say, no, that's a lie. Then it encodes those things and then it criminalizes those who say it's a lie. It's happening in the UK, it's happening in Canada, and it's starting to happen here. I'm not... I'm not like out in left or right field talking about this. This is happening as we speak. And I, and I just want you to think about this guy. Satan is a roaring lion. He's so clever. That's why our family initiative is so important. That's why our youth ministry and our children's ministry is so important. That's why we need your help. That's why you need to have your kids here. That's why you need to talk about God in your home all the time. There is a battle right now for what is truth. And we've got to settle on our, on our feet that this is the truth. I'm going to live by it. I don't care what the consequences are going to be. Why would I live for a lie? Then the end is going to destroy me and my family, etc. We have to hold to truth. Are you with me? Amen. Now, um, Let's, I want to see how good your, your eyesight is, all right? So I've got another picture I found. I'm going to put it up here. There's a, there's a leopard in there. Um, because it's been enlarged so much, you might be able to make it out here. It's a little harder to make it up on the screen there. I couldn't find it. <laughs> Until finally, uh, I found the circle on the picture that showed where he is. And once you see that, you go, oh, there he is. There he is. Wow. Talk about, talk about, I'm not walking in tall grass in Africa anymore. <laughs> just laying there, just waiting. So in the story, and we are actually going to talk about the story a little bit. In the story, God says to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. 
Don't let it master you. You master it. Do you know what the most dangerous sin is? It's the sin that we actually open the door and allow it to come in and make itself at home in our lives. It's the sin that we don't know, that we no longer call sin, but we treat it like it's a pet. It's the character defects that we begin to put up with in our life or in the lives of those that we're responsible for. It doesn't hurt sometimes to tell a little lie. I don't like to lie a lot, but you know, every once in a while, you got to tell a little lie. You see what I've just done? I'm already changing. I'm, I'm already accepting. I'm accommodating. Or gossip. So many Christians struggle with gossip, but we don't ever think of it as a sin. We call it a prayer request. Gluttony. What is gluttony? Gluttony is when, I, is when I abuse my body by what I eat. I misuse food or whatever it is to cause harm and problems to my body. Or idolatry. My goodness, all the forms of idolatry. Should we count them? Sex, social media, money, people, relationships, right? Idolatry is when I think that if I don't have this, I won't be happy, I won't be complete. Nationalism, big deal these days. You know, I find that there are some Christians that seem more concerned about the direction of our government than they are about the lost soul of the neighbor next door. Consumerism. The idea that the more I have, the happier I'll be. See what I'm trying to say? It's easy for us to label the things that are clear to us that we don't like as sin out there and call all those people sinners and then forget about the fact that, you know, some of us have opened the door and, and sin is sitting right in the middle of our, our living room and we watch it all the time. I don't mean the TV is sin or the internet, the, the computer is sin. I mean, what is it I see on there? What is it I allow into my mind and into my heart? Sin is so subtle, it is so dangerous. Have you allowed it to make a home in your life? Have you allowed it to make a home in your home? All right, let's move on. I already kind of gave away the second point. Sin is not only um, a predator, stealthy, but sin is subtle. Now, look at the story with me. Okay, we're only going to step into the story. We'll get more into it next weekend. But look at the story with me for a moment. It's hard to see what's wrong in that story, personally. In fact, I struggle with this story because, you know, the... The one that gets in trouble is the firstborn. I'm a firstborn. How many of you are firstborn? Do we really do anything wrong? <laughs> Isn't it normally the younger sibling that causes the problems? And then if we do sin, it's usually because of the younger sibling. At least that's how I found it between me and my younger brother. Anyway, uh, you look at that story, and it's hard to, it's, it, the lines are so subtle. It's like, what's wrong here? You've got two brothers. And there's nothing in the story to indicate that, 
that the brother, you know, that one of them is a womanizer and the other one is not, that one is a drunkard, the other one is not, that one's into porn and the other one's not, you know, that one is violent, at least initially, and the other one is not. When you look at them, they look like two clean-cut kids. I mean, they may be 30, but I don't know. But they just seem normal. Everything seems okay. The only difference between the two of them is that one is older, one is younger, one is a rancher, you know, raising sheep. The other is a farmer. He has a garden. He raises grain and vegetables. And one brings the, the, the firstlings of his flock and offers it as a sacrifice to God, and God seems to enjoy it. And the other one brings his grain or his vegetables, and he, he offers that to God, and God rejects it. Why does God say no? Why does God reject it? Does God reject it just because God's God and he can reject whoever he wants and accept whoever he wants? I don't, that doesn't feel good to me. Or is God rejected because God likes meat and he doesn't like vegetables? What's going on here? Why does God say yours is acceptable and yours is not? Well, sometimes you have to look at other scripture to help you understand what you're reading, and that's what happens in this passage of scripture. Over in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, we have a commentary on what's happening here. It gives us insight. Listen to what it says. Hebrews 11, 4 says, It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. So what do I learn about Abel that may help me understand what's wrong with Cain? Well, first of all, I'm told that Abel is a man of faith, that he trusts God. And like Abraham, because he believes in God, he trusts God, he's He's seen as righteous. That means then that that Cain must be a man who doesn't really trust God. He must be a man who has a hard time being faithful, and therefore he's considered unrighteous. So now I begin to get a little clearer picture of why God accepts one and rejects the other. But I want to look at another commentary on this passage It's a story that Jesus told, one of his most famous parables, called the prodigal son, you know, the lost son. It's two brothers and a father. Remember this story? Now, in in this story, the younger son comes to his father and says, I wish you were dead, which I know he doesn't literally say, but when he says, give me my inheritance, that's like saying, I wish you were dead. And probably to the the, uh, chagrin of the elder brother, the dad gives him the money. And he goes off and uh, ends up spending his money on, on women and whiskey and wild living. And he runs out of his money. He runs out of his friends. And there's a famine in the land. He runs out of food. He's having to feed uh, the pigs. And he's a Jew. So here he is, this Jewish young man feeding swine. Man, it doesn't get any worse than that. Having to eat what he's feeding them. And he decides to himself, I'm going to go home. My, my father's employees on the ranch are treated better than I am. 
I'm not going to go home and say, make me your son. I'm going to go home and say, Dad, will you take me back as an employee? I, I, I've sinned against heaven and earth. I've sinned against, I've sinned against you. I don't expect you to take me back. And he makes his way home. And I love the story because Jesus says that when the father saw his son coming a, a long distance off, that he ran to his son, opened his arms up in front of the whole village, and swallows him up in love and forgiveness, even before his son can get out his confession. And Jesus told that story in front of a bunch of people who knew they were sinners, it says. And he told it in front of a bunch of Pharisees who didn't think they were sinners. The father throws a party for his son, invites the entire village. My son who was lost has been found. Let's have a party. And later, at the end of the day, the elder son comes home. And he sees what's going on. And he asks, what is what, what's going on here? And they say, oh, your brother, you know, the one that was lost, he came home, your father's forgiven him, and we're having a party, come and join us. And he's indignant, he's angry. And he says to his father, you know, all these years, I don't ask you for my inheritance, I work hard. I'm out in the fields early, I come home late. I dot the I's, cross the T's. I do everything right, and you have never once given me a party. And the story just ends like that. What's the difference between Cain and Abel? What's the difference between the elder brother and the younger brother in this story? Well, Tim Keller says there are, there are two reasons why you make a sacrifice. One is to give something to someone because you love them so much, you're so thankful to, for them, you appreciate them so much. The other is to get something from somebody. Have you ever done that? I have. I remember growing up, doing it a few times, probably more than a few times, going the extra mile, cleaning more, doing things more because there was something I wanted to get from my parents. And I figured if I did a little extra work and I went to them and I asked them for it, they would give it to me. And you know, sometimes my parents had the audacity to say no. And then I would throw in their face what I did for them and reveal my true motive. Now, aren't you glad we outgrow that as adults? See, that's the difference between Cain and Abel. Cain acts as though God is in debt to him. You say, well, how do you know that? How do you see that? That's why you got to be here next weekend. Because I can't unpack it all now. By the way, how do you know if you're more like Cain or more like Abel? I'll answer that in just a minute, but before I do that, I, I do want to move on to a third point about sin. We need some good news here, and that's simply this, that there is actually victory over sin. You and I can have victory over this, this predator that lives in our lives, in our house, so to speak. And it's because of the grace and the justice of God. If you look at this story, you see God's grace. First, you see God's grace when he confronts Cain and says, look, 
Why are you depressed? Why are you so down right now? He says, you know, if you'll, if you'll just do what's right, righteous, right? You'll be accepted. But sin is crouching there. Sin wants to make its presence known in your life. Don't let it master you, which means that God says you and I have the capacity not to let sin master us, but for us to be able to master sin. The question for Cain is, what what am I going to do? Will I let sin master me? And by the way, sin, remember I said it's so subtle, it's so disguised. Sin will make you think that you're the master, but you're not. It's controlling you. God says you can change. And God says that to every human being. You can change. You can, it can be different for you if you do what is right, if you choose what is true. But then we see grace a second time after the horrible murder that takes place. God comes and he says to Cain, where is your brother? What happened to him? Kind of reminds me of when God comes looking for uh, Adam and Eve and says, where are you? I like one theologian put it this way. He says, God never asks us questions because he needs information. God never asks us questions because he's trying to figure out our hearts. When God asks you a question, it's because he's trying to get you to understand your own heart. What has happened to your brother? What have you done? Will you own what you've done? You expect God to come and boom, smack Cain down, disintegrate him on the spot for what he's done. God leaves the door open because God is a God of grace. What's Cain going to do? Talk more about that next weekend. I think I've said that at least six or seven times. Hope you get the hint. Now let's talk about God's justice. There's also God's justice in this story. God's not going to let this thing slide. He's not going to let it go. And so he tells Cain, pack everything up and get out of here. Go. You're banished. Remember Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. Now Cain is banished away from God. Do you know what that is? In my mind, that's a picture of hell. That's God saying, look, you've made your choice. Now you get to go and live in your choice. No, God sends nobody to hell. Hell is where God lets us go because we choose it by choosing against him. He gives us over to a life without him. You may look around at this world right now and go, it's hell. It's hell because we've made it hell, not God. Not God. But there's another form of justice in this passage. And this whole idea of Abel's blood crying out for justice. And by the way, every Cain... Sunday, every Cain, and all of us, all of us at least began as a Cain. Every Cain who refuses to repent is going to face God as a judge. 
and those who have suffered injustice will be, will be justified. They will, they'll receive. They'll see justice on their enemies. Read Romans 13. But there's another kind of justice here. It's found in this passage in, Ro- in uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 12. The writer says, You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. So whereas Abel's blood cried out for vengeance, and God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and he will bring vengeance someday, Jesus' blood cries out and says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be what? Which means shall be forgiven. That's why it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful in what? Do you know that verse? And just. See, all of a sudden, justice is not against me. Justice is now on my side. I can stand before the Father and say, Father, based on what Jesus did for me, justice is on my side. You must forgive me. You must receive me. Now, we don't say that to God, but in essence, that's what it means. And God says, I know. I sent him to do that for you. So I want to end with the question that I started out with, and then we're going to pick it up on there next weekend. What, you know, how do you know if you're more like Cain or Abel? How do you know if you're more like the elder brother or the younger brother? Let me give you one little clue. How many of you besides me um, struggle when things don't work out the way you think they should. So I make sure I'm in a room with humans, all right? We all do, right? I struggle sometimes when things, things don't go the way I think they should go. Now here's the question I want to ask you. When things don't go the way you think that they should go, does it make you furious? That will tell you if you're more like Cain or like Abel like the elder brother or the younger brother. And if you want to know what on earth that means, you're going to have to come back when? (laughs) Next weekend.